Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. What do you think of when you think of Jesus? I think of compassion. I think of courage, right? Don't you think of that when you think of Jesus? I think of loving. Of course, that's number one, right? For God so loved the world. I think of maybe maybe this is the most comforting for you is, is present. You think of Jesus, not presence, guys. Present. Like he's here. He's here. I think of this too. I think of Revelation chapter 1. Sometimes we get stuck with this idea that Jesus is a, is a baby in a manger. Of course, last time I was in the pulpit here, we were celebrating his birth on Christmas Eve. And we actually talked about that word present, Emmanuel, God with us. But I think of this in Revelation. It talks about how powerful he is. And he's standing there and he's wearing this, this garment dipped in blood. And he's, he's got a white beard and white hair and a sword coming out of his mouth and fiery eyes. I mean, he's just a picture of power. Jesus. Um, personalizing it. He's my savior. He said, I couldn't save myself. None of us could. And that's why we're here tonight. I don't see any strangers faces I know you wanted me to say I don't see any strange faces but I see many strange faces but few stranger faces but the fact is without Jesus we would be eternally lost and and bound for a place called hell and separation from everything that's good and there's people that will argue about hell are there really flames does it really hurt I'm just gonna say who cares I'm certain there are, based on my theology and how I read the Bible in a literal interpretation. But you know what I know is that it's the separation, not only from God, but from everything that's good. Everything redeemable. I just complete and utter evil in that place. And I think of this. And, and you know, when you're on the front side of a trial, you're on the back side of a trial, all these words, man, they're easy to say. Right? Or maybe when you're in a little trial, and you can still say this, it's, it's not that bad. But man, I'll tell you what, when you go in it, and when you go into a trial that tries your faith, uh, and I remember Pastor Elam being here years ago, he said, if you haven't been through a crisis of faith, wait. Wait. And when I say crisis of faith, I don't mean like, oh, my faith is being tested. I mean, you're wondering if you have any. And you're wondering if what you believe, you really believe. If you haven't been through that yet, you will be. And it stinks. Been out of the pulpit a little while. I'm a little rusty. We'll try not to say anything too stupid. Especially since we're streaming for whomever wants to find it. 
But what happens? What happens? You, you get all those ideas of Jesus. I mean, powerful, comforter, counselor, friend, present, loving, compassionate. But what happens when God says no? And you get into this trial. And we sing this song, cry out to Jesus, right? And so you're there, you're like, I'm crying out to Jesus. I'm crying out to Jesus. And maybe you even get to a place where you're literally crying out to Jesus and you're weeping. Been there? What happens when God says no and you're praying and you're begging and you're pleading and either it feels like He's just absent or He's just saying no? What happens then? What do you start thinking about then when you're praying and you're on your face and you're pleading with God? That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I'd say I, want to, I don't want to make it about me, but I'll tell you what. When I'm in my bedroom and I'm listening to my daughter down in her bedroom and she's screaming and she's howling and she's crying and she's just what she's saying, Jesus help me, Jesus help me, Jesus help me. And it feels like he's just not answering then I'm laying in my bed and I'm saying, well, God, in 1 John chapter 5, it says, if we ask anything in your name and it pleases you, you will give it to us. And so I, here I am, I'm saying this. This don't please you to help a little 23-year-old handicapped kid. Oh, pastor, that's a downer. Why did I come tonight? I don't know. That's, that's, that's called a crisis of faith. And you're laying in bed and you're saying, why, why aren't you answering? Now, I don't think I'm alone in this. See, I don't think that I'm the only one who's ever been there. I don't think I'm the only Christian who's ever been there, although there's some high and mighty Christians that would say, oh, you're such a bad Christian. Those are the bad Christians that say that. Okay, just fix your perspective. But what do you do? I, I, I think that people in this room can identify with this. You've cried out. Maybe you're there now. And he's saying no to you, or he kind of doesn't seem like he's really listening all that well. You're like, you need some Q-tips, Lord? And the circumstance is not your doing. Now, some of y'all deserve what you're getting. You asked for it, right? You know what I'm saying. You were an idiot, and you're getting your just dessert, right? We, we suffer circumstances, don't we? Uh, consequences, rather, of, of our actions and our behavior, what happens when it's not your actions and it's not your behavior? It's just life hits you in the face with a sledgehammer. It's dark, it's cold, and it's lonely. Peter just preached on this a couple weeks ago, I think. He preached on Mark, uh, and Jesus is sleeping in the boat. When it seems a storm wave has crashed over the bow of your ship, and Jesus is sleeping in the stern, and you're the disciples... And you go to wake him up because you know Jesus got options you ain't never thought of. Right? Is that, that's the title. You, so you're going to wake him up and he's just sleeping. And you're like, come on, wake up, Jesus! And he doesn't, he doesn't wake up. He's just sleeping through it. 
and the waves are crashing over your boat. And God says no, and God says sink. God would never say sink. What you talking about, Willis? That's for you kids that grew up in the 80s like me. Oh no? I think so. <sighs> what happens when God says no? That's a good question. I think we deserve an answer. I think we deserve to know how to respond in that type of situation. So first of all, does God say no? I know there's some real holier-than-now people maybe even here right now, and you're like, God doesn't say no to me. God answers every prayer I pray. I was actually talking to someone. He said, I thought God said wait and maybe and yes. I said, well, that's an interesting theory. I wonder what the Bible says about it. What does the Bible say about the word no? So we want to go back to Jesus. This time, we want to go back and look at Jesus as he's coming to the end of his human life. See, Jesus was all God and all man. And it's the humanity of Jesus that gives us strength and gives us hope that we might endure the trouble with trials. Here's Jesus. He's, he's about to be crucified. He's about to be arrested. And he goes to a sanctuary. This was one of Jesus' places to pray. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. Boy, that's really washed out. Um, he goes into this garden to pray. And we're going we're gonna to pick up on his prayer in Matthew chapter 26. Can you read that? Oh, that's good. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And then he took with, with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, is the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Hmm. It's not clicking, bro. There you go. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, what? Uh, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Came and found him asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went away and prayed again the third time, saying the same words. And I think I skipped a few verses where it talked about him being sorrowful, deeply distressed, and exceedingly sorrowful. The humanity of, of Jesus on brilliant display for his followers. That's you and me. 2,000 years later, when we're going through the, the most troubling trials in our lives, uh, we, we are introduced to this picture of Jesus. Now we know that Jesus has gone through trials, 
before he gets to this point, but this is it. I mean, this is the, the culmination of a lifetime, and he's about to go and be falsely accused, and he's about to be crucified, and, and here he is in this garden. The Bible says he sweat drops of blood. He's in duress, and he's under such strain and such stress. He's crying out to his father, Can you take this cup from me? What did God say? What did God say? Sink. He said no. The Father said no to the Son. That's kind of deep, isn't it? Now, I love the way Jesus prayed. He didn't go and demand that the Father do what he wanted. He asked the Father, is there, any, is, is there any other way? The Father said, no. No, so when we think of Jesus, do these thoughts come to mind? I wonder, when we think of Jesus, sorrowful? He was, you know. The Bible says he was sorrowful. Deeply distressed. Jesus was deeply distressed. There is a time to be told to suck it up. I believe that. And I tell my son that often, right? Suck it up, buttercup. And there is a time to be sorrowful. And there is a time to be deeply distressed. But the Bible didn't stop there with its description of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said he was sorrowful when he started out. And then he began to pray. And praying makes everything better, doesn't it? He says, I am sorrowful. I'm going to pray. So he began to pray. And then he was deeply distressed and exceedingly sorrowful. Because now God is saying, son, no. So he starts out sorrowful, and boy, just pray. Are you going through trouble? Just pray. Make it all better. Okay. I know I'm being trite. And it's important to note that Jesus did go away and pray as he was facing his most difficult trial. But sometimes prayer brings us deeper and it needs to bring us deeper so this is Jesus what do we learn as we're going through these trials and we're hearing and we're praying rather and we're not hearing the answer that we want to hear it's okay to be sorrowful it's okay to be in distress before your father in heaven stop going to God like you think he wants you to come and come to God as you are. Okay? You think God was ticked off at me when I brought the Bible out and said, God, what's going on? God, wouldn't it please you to just snap your fingers and fix this? Because I know you can. What, why, do you think God is upset about that? Do you think that I'm like, he's like, no. 
At least I opened the Bible and looked at it. That was cool. Whew, I'll tell you. He was so sorrowful, he, he fell on his face. What about Paul? Paul's another one of my heroes. I wish I had a mind and an intellect like the Apostle Paul, but I'd probably lean a little more toward Peter. But when you think of Paul, I want to take us to a familiar passage of Scripture. Because God does not always say yes, and oftentimes He will say no. And in Paul's case, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And concerning this thing, concerning this buffeting, listen, do you, do you, do you grasp the power of this word? He's taking a beating by a messenger of Satan, a messenger of doubt, perhaps. So he goes to God and he, you know what he does? He follows the example of Jesus and he thrice prays. I prayed, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. What's going on with my daughter? I have no idea. She is suffering from psychosis, hearing voices. Maybe, you know, I don't know. We've had so many people anoint her with oil and pray over her. She ought to be wearing white and walking on water. But she's hearing a voice telling her that she's going to hell. She's hearing a voice telling her that she wants the devil. And the voice won't stop. And it's driving her nuts, wouldn't it, you? Now she's on a medication that seems to be helping. But here's the Apostle Paul. He's got a messenger of Satan buffeting him and he is pleading with God and pleading with Jesus, take this away from me. And he said to me, what do you think God's going to say? No. That's not in the verse, but it's implied. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So here's the Apostle Paul. A messenger of Satan is buffeting him, beating him, bludgeoning him, and he is pleaded with God three times. The third time, God says, I already told you no, son. You're deaf. Right, well, he says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take you out of this trial. I'm not going to take you out of the boat. I'm not going to calm the storm. I'm not going to calm the seas. I'm not going to feed the 5,000. My grace is sufficient for you. Walk with me a ways. Paul teaches us something. Now what? What can we learn from Jesus and Paul? What do we do now? When, when we have prayed and we have pleaded and we're in the midst of this trial and the answer seems to be no. 
Or, in my case, the answer was just different than I wanted. <laughs> I was a little irritated with God for, for a while. And I want to thank the leadership here um, for recognizing my need to take a breather. Uh, love you guys. I appreciate you more than you know. But what now? What can we learn from Paul? experience, Jesus and Paul. Well, first of all, and this is not right, the temptation when we're going through a trial and God says no is to stop praying. The temptation is to withdraw. The temptation is to become angry when God says no or answers your prayer in a way you are not expecting. Seroquel is an answer to prayer for us. An antipsychotic medication and Kirsten hasn't broken down and screamed and howled for about a week now. And we praise God for that. It's a different answer than we were expecting and I can look back at it now and see the hand of God doing certain things and orchestrating events and answering prayers but I was pretty ticked that he wasn't answering them the way I wanted him to. So angry, in fact, that even when I saw he was answering prayers, I refused to admit it. Now, I know you're looking at me and you're like, but you're a pastor, dude. And Katie's looking at me going, no, he, don't worry about it. It's not true. Well, he's a pastor, but yeah, he's not like that kind of pastor. I remember being in bed with Trish, and that's all right, because she's my wife. And we were in bed, and, um, and we were just talking, okay? Nothing funny business going on. And and, um, and and something had, had happened, and, and she said, uh, "You can, I think this is God, Eric. I think I think God is is doing something." I go, "We'll see." <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a good thing the guys took me out of the pulpit. It <laughs> is not a good place, and I only share that with you for a couple of reasons. Perhaps one is this: you've been there, you're going through it. And man, you're just feeling like a piece of crap on toast. And I've never seen that. But I hear it's awful. I hear it's awful. So you need to be persistent in your prayer life. It's interesting Jesus prayed three times. Paul prayed three times. The other thing is they didn't stop communicating with the Father. Just because the Father says no to you doesn't mean that, well, you know what? If you don't say yes or do it my way, you're not my dad anymore. And I'm, you, you don't do that. And there are plenty of times when I look at my son, he wants to do something, and I say no, and I say no to him for reasons that he cannot possibly fathom. And it doesn't matter why I say no. If I try to explain to him why, he's not going to understand it. He's nine. It's okay. He's nine. He's not supposed to understand it. All he's supposed to understand is that dad knows best. And even though it hurts right now, dad knows best. And we tend to look at things in a very finite way. We have a beginning and an end and a middle. God has no beginning, has no end, and sees yesterday from tomorrow. He sees the entire mosaic of our lives and every life that we are going to touch. And depending on how he answers our prayer, things will happen. And it's amazing to watch. So when he says no... Um, we're going to get into this later on in the series. But when he says, no, guys, there's a reason behind God's answers, whatever they are. 
or aren't. Now, I can't nail this down, but I believe that when God says no, there is a redemptive reason behind his answer. And in this case, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. You are a trophy of my grace. You are on display. Paul, the reason you are going to be able to do what I've called you to do is because I've placed you in this crucible of suffering. And so we must be persistent. Don't don't, uh, be dissuaded from your prayer life, but also this be determined. Here's Jesus, the great example. And here he is, he's falling on his face and he's begging and he's pleading and he's praying and he's weeping and he's bleeding. And the Father says, no! And he says, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. So he gets up determined that he is going to walk the path that his Father laid before him. That he was going to walk through the storm. Even though his dad said no. He was determined. Not my will but yours. Father, I know you know best. And so ultimately the trouble with trials is they try our trust. They try our trust in the goodness of our Father. They try our trust in the wisdom of the Father. And that's tough. That's troublesome. But come to God with honesty. Not with a mask. I was talking with someone the other day. They said, well, you're the pastor. You've got to find somebody you can talk to when you're struggling. Because you know you can't talk to your church like that. I said, yeah, I'm a little different. Let's kind of lay it out there and hope nobody leaves. Don't let the seeming lack of an answer to prayer negatively affect your prayer life. Keep communicating with the Father. Because ultimately, praying doesn't necessarily change circumstances, as someone says, but it does change you. We've got to learn to trust God even when we cannot understand the depth of His wisdom. The depth of His wisdom. There's times where Kirsten had to have surgeries when she was younger. And these surgeries were incredibly painful. She could not fathom the necessity of the pain that she should suffer in order to get the benefit of the surgery. She couldn't understand. Why do I have to go through this pain? Well, the, the, the benefit of going through this pain is you're going to be able to be more comfortable later on and be cared for more easily so that you're not tripping and breaking your hip and somebody else's. And, but you try to explain that to her. She doesn't understand. She was 11, I think. So we've got to learn to trust God. He's so much higher than we are. Next. Here's a big one. Lose the guilt. You having a hard time? It's bad enough to be having a struggle without feeling guilty about struggling. Now I know I'm speaking to somebody and not just me. And I want to praise God that I've got guys around me like Rick and Ron and and Rick and Peter and Bruce and John Williams and just the rest of the guys around me and Tim and and that they they would not allow me to feel guilty in my struggle. 
Paul didn't. You don't see guilt out of Paul. You don't see guilt in Jesus when he goes to his father and says, God, this father, dad, this is huge, man. I can't handle this. I don't want to go through this. Are you kidding me? Lose the guilt. When you're going through a hard time, you're going through a hard time. Learn to be weak. This is a huge one. Learn to be weak. I've taken tests and I have, um, I have a strong emotional center. Not just that I'm strongly emotional, but I have a, I have a strong mind, strong emotional center. Guys, sometimes it's tough to allow yourself to be weak. Especially when you're a New Englander. And what, it's zero degrees up, whatever. Almost time for a coat. Right? We don't learn to be weak. We don't want to be, who wants to be weak here? Who wants to admit they're weak? Paul said, I, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, reproaches, and needs, and persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Learn not to rely on yourself. He'll carry you through that trial. It doesn't have to look the way you want it to look. Sometimes God's answer comes in the form of people. Sometimes it comes in the form of miracles. Sometimes it comes in the form of silence. The second time we were in the ER with Kirsten, nine hours at that time, or eight, I forget. Um, a couple of ladies from the church showed up, sat with us for about five hours, watched the pastor melt down. It wasn't pretty, but they said they liked that side of me. Um, I wasn't nice either. It was bad. They talking about calling the police to have me dragged out of the ER. It was great. It was a good time. <sighs> Find pleasure in Christ. The trouble with trials... Trouble with trials is they often take our eyes away from our Savior. The trouble with trials is they often distract us from that first list that we made. The trouble with trials is often you feel like you're all alone. You know, you may suffer. I may suffer. But Christ suffers with us. Early on, I learned this, and it seems like my head is so thick, he has to keep pounding it in. And when we are saved, the Bible says the Spirit of Christ comes and dwells within us. And the reality of that is that whether you're walking through cancer whether you're walking through psychosis, whether you're walking through financial difficulties, whether you're walking through employment difficulties, whether you're walking through relationship difficulties, you're not alone. He walks within you, not just with you. He feels what you feel. He sees what you see. He hears what you hear. And as I said, I believe God's prayer, His answers to prayer have redemptive qualities to them. 
displays of grace, even when he says no. Remember, if you've been praying and God's been saying no, well, he said no to Jesus too. You're not alone. And when he said no to Jesus, through that no, the entire race of man received the possibility of redemption through an answer of no. So when God says no to you, who might he be using you to lead to redemption? You're in good company when he says no. His ways are not our ways. But we can still trust him. The trouble with trials. Well, the good thing with trials is that as we go through them, our trust should deepen and broaden and impact more people for the cause of Christ. I hope that you'll join us next week when we go on to part two of the trouble with trials. And we're going to look at different people in the Bible. We're going to look at what they went through and how they responded as we can learn how to walk the right way as we go through these storms in our life. Hey, all Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.